Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'Mitvotah V'Tivanu, La'asok B'Divrei Torah, Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka B'Tisrael. Ve'nie Anaknu, Ve'zeetzeinu, Ve'zeetzee Amka B'Tisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Ve'lom De Torateka Lishma. Barukata Adonai Hamlame Torah Le'amo Yisrael. Baruch b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Welcome back to the Garrett to the Romans podcast. We are in chapter 3, finally on verse 6. Well, we finished verse 6 last week, so we're finally on verse 7. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with our insights. Verse 7 says, but if by my lie, the truth of God abounds to his glory. So if by my lie, so if I tell a lie and the truth of God abounds to his glory, why am I still being judged or why am I still judged as a sinner? In other words, if I can lie to you and my lie will bring about God's glory Because we just learned in previous verses that Hashem is just. He is true. Let every man be a liar and Hashem be the one who is true. We just went over that. So the thing is, is that if we in our sin show Hashem's justice and his glory saying, hey, you violated what is absolutely wrong, and because I am a just God, you now have to suffer judgment because of the wrong that you've done. And because of that circumstance, because of that very fact and that very truth, that very reality, that glorifies Hashem because Hashem's glory is his attributes. This is why we can read in Exodus during Parsha Kitisa, where Moshe asked Hashem to show him his glory. And Hashem lists the 13 attributes. So, why are we still judged as sinner if our lie, the truth of God, becomes glorified? It's just kind of like you're you're wrong and Hashem has a just standard that you are violating. So glory be to God. All right. God's just. Hallelujah. Or as Medea would say, hallelujah. And the thing is with that, you're still going to be judged as a sinner. So it's just kind of like, okay, do you want to really glorify God by being a sinner? Is that what we want to go for? This is what Shaul is saying. And verse eight. And why not say, let us do evil so that good may come? Why not? I mean, if we do evil, God's justice and his wrath and all of that is going to come out and all the discipline is going to come out. And it's going to be like God in his glory shows up. It's just like, do we really want that? Because remember when we were complaining, Parsha Yitro, we were complaining that we were hungry Hashem brought us out in the wilderness to die, all of that. Uh, another tour portion, I think it's Beha Aloteka. I know it's in Bamibar, where Miriam complains against Moshe. 
And then the glory of God shows up. It's like, y'all need to come to the tent of meeting. So do we really want the glory of God to show up because we're doing evil, because we're doing wrong, because we're full of lies? It's like, glory be to God, I'm a liar. And God is truth. It's like, you realize what you're saying is you have no attachment to him. You're severing your attachment to Hashem by your lies, by your works of evil. Oh, works of iniquity. Mashiach says, depart from me, I never knew you. Remember that? Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at that. It says. In verse 21. Not everyone who says to me. Hashem Hashem. Where have we heard Hashem Hashem before? 13 attributes. Adonai Adonai. Which by the way when you say Adonai Adonai. You're literally saying son. The gematria of Adonai is 26. And I'm talking about the, the divine name that we pronounce as Adonai because no one knows how to pronounce it. But we call it Adonai, Hashem, like the Yod and Hey with the Vav and Hey, the four letter name. That name, the numerical value is 26. 26 times 2 is 52. And so 52 is the gematria of Ben, which is son. So when we say, when Mashiach is saying, not everyone who says to me, son, son of God, my Lord, my Lord, Adonai, Adonai, Hashem, Hashem. So wait, people are calling the Mashiach by the name of Hashem? Hmm, interesting. Jewish literature says that the Torah is called by the name of Hashem, and we know Mashiach is the Torah. Yerushalayim is called by the name of Hashem, and we know that, uh, you know, that's true. And then Mashiach is going to be called by the name of Hashem. And let's go ahead and throw in the fourth one. The, the nation of Israel will in the time to come after the resurrection be called by the name of Hashem because we will be that perfected. So Selah, but back to Matityahu chapter seven, verse 21. Mashiach is saying, not everyone who says to me, Adonai, Adonai, Hashem, Hashem, will enter the Malkut HaShemayim, the kingdom of heaven. But, okay, so all of that's true. So there's going to be many are called and many will be calling, but few are chosen. So now with that being the reality, let's look at the, the inverse. The but about all of that, he says, he who does the will of my father in Shemaim. Okay, so not everyone who says to me, Adonai, Adonai, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in Shemaim. What's the will of the father? It is none other than the law of Moses, the law of God. If you study Parsha Yitro, even go to my podcast on Parsha Yitro, which is the whole Torah portion that's about the giving of the Torah, the father-in-law of Moses coming in and converting. God is giving us the Ten Commandments, that whole section of the Torah. We learn that the will of God is the Torah, the commandments, the mitzvot, the statutes, the decrees, the judgments, the laws. 
like, okay, the ordinances, all of that is called the will of God. The will of the Father who is in heaven. So if we really want to talk about who is a kingdom citizen, as brought down in another one of Shaul's letters, it is those who are not only converted and immersed for the remission of sin and made new creations by the word of God, i.e. you get you become a Jew, because when you immerse, that is the water of the Shekinah, that is the mother, that is the word, the testimony of Mashiach, testimony of Hashem, the voice of Hashem, the power of Hashem, all of that is wrapped up in the mikveh. That's why Mashiach said, immerse them in the name of the Father, immerse them in the name of the Son, and immerse them in the name of the Ruach HaKodesh. Did you know that the Ruach HaKodesh and the Shekinah and the Word of God are all one? If you read Jewish literature, you'll find that out. And that's what gives birth to you. So we talk about Jews being people who have a Jewish mother. Because a Jewish mother only should have a child from a Jewish man. So you find out your tribal heritage through the father, but your very essence of your Jewishness, your new creationness comes from the mother. So when you really look at what is going on here, Mashiach is like only the born again people who call me Hashem Hashem are going to enter into the kingdom. And born again people are people of good works. Now, I'll just let you know, good works is Torah observance. So if you're saying that you're a new creation, if you're saying you've been born again, you're born from above, your mother is Jerusalem above, which is Sarah. If you're saying any of that, because that's Galatians chapter four, if you're saying any of that, then um, that means you are responsible for Torah, for fulfilling the will of God in the world. Because if you're not, then you just played a whole bunch of games and you went through a waste of time, to be quite frank. And that's what's happening. This is why we say that the grace message has killed more people than Holocausts, terrorists, uh, inquisitions, crusades. The grace message has been a, like a spiritual genocide and public rape on a on a weekly basis because you tell people to believe in this god who is the lord of the jews but yet don't be jewish don't do anything from the heritage and the history don't be like king david don't be like abraham don't be like moses don't be like joseph don't be like aharon don't be like shlomo don't be like any of these people. Don't even be like Kepha. Don't even be like Shaul. Don't even be like Yochanan. Don't be like any of these people. And if you don't know any of those names, because a lot of people who aren't familiar with the Hebrew names of all of the biblical characters, then that's also a sign of it. How can we not know that Abraham's actual name is Abraham? How can we not know that Mashiach's name is actually Yeshua and not Jesus? How can we actually not know 
it is Melech David, King David, instead of King David. How can we not know instead of Solomon and Shlomo? How can we not know instead of Simon Peter, it's Shimeon Kepha? How can we not know instead of Saul Paul, it's Shaul? Like, what in the world? Like, because of the the grace message, all of that stuff does not ring a bell. Who is Yochanan? Yochanan is John. Who is Eliyahu? Eliyahu is Elijah. And here's why I want to stress the names, because the names connect to the essence of who these individuals are. If you don't know someone's name, you don't know a thing about them. Many times you may feel like you know someone, but if you don't know their name, it's hard. It's going to be hard to get their attention. Because if you're in a crowded place, you know, hey, hey, you I talk to every day and I, I don't know your name, but you know who I'm talking about, you tall person in the blue shirt. And what if there's somebody else who's tall wearing a blue shirt? Name connotates intimacy. It, it, it connotates, you know, this person, you can get their attention. They can get your attention. You are literally connected to the essence of who they are. Hebrew names go even beyond that because Hebrew names are built with what's called Hebrew letters and Hebrew letters are the very elements and building blocks of creation. So therefore, if you don't know the Hebrew name of someone and if you're not engaged in calling the Hebrew name of someone, you are like a short circuited robot at best, or it's like, Cooking a cake and forgetting a few ingredients. Tell me how that works out. Okay. Imagine making challah, but leaving out yeast. Imagine, you know, frying chicken, but doing no seasoning. I mean, you're lacking. I mean, you're going to get something, but it ain't going to be the something you were really hoping for. Likewise, everyone who's expecting to enter the kingdom of Hashem but they're lacking ingredients, namely Torah, mitzvot, Jewishness, conversion, observance. Lacking all that stuff, recipe for, what does he say in the next verse? Uh, in verse 23, because again, he's going back over, like the, be the people are going to be like, oh, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We did all this stuff. Mashiach's like, yeah, that's witchcraft. Because did you know, doing all these mighty, amazing works of God, but being devoid of the law of God is called witchcraft? This is why we tell people who want to learn Kabbalah, if you want to learn Kabbalah and you don't know the Humash, you, my friend, set yourself up for witchcraft. If you want to heal people, you want to raise the dead, and you want to do all this amazing stuff, but yet you don't want to eat kosher, you don't want to observe the Shabbat, that's called being a witchcraft person. Uh, a witch doctor, whatever you want to call it. Something like that. It's like, yeah, you're going to heal people. Yeah, you're going to get amazing results. But guess what? You're going to lack. And you're going to be told, verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you 
get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is actually in the Tehillim. Wasn't quite prepared to go to Tehillim already, but in Tehillim chapter 6, it is written. So I'm going to go there real quick. Tehillim 6. And it says in verse 9, if you have a, a Tanakh, it says, God has heard my supplication. Or Sliga, Depart from me, all you evildoers. Seriously? I mean, it's it's literally right there. Here's the commentary. The Talmud of Odazera 4b teaches that it was uncharacteristic of David to have committed the sin with Bathsheba. He was led to it by heaven in order to be a model for repentance, i.e. Teshuva, for others. Hence, in this verse, David says to those evildoers who feel they are lost to God, depart from sin through Teshuva. The proof that is possible comes from me. For God has heard the sound of my weeping and he will hear yours as well. Depart from me, I never knew you is all about repenting of your sin, repenting of not doing the will of God. So that's uh, it's pretty intense. David is saying, I'm a model for if you have been a person of lawlessness, then, um, you know, here, here's what you should do. So that way you don't ever have to hear the words from Hashem, namely his Mashiach saying, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, the verse that I'm thinking of is where Mashiach says, rejoice that your name is in the book of life. And this is, yeah, Luke chapter 10. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits, Luke chapter 10, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in Shemaim. Some translations say the book of life. And so um, one of the things that is amazing about this is this is the, the point that I'm making that Judaism makes. So really, I'm not even making the point. I'm just reiterating. But the fact is of the matter that if we want to be people of mighty, amazing works, but we don't want to do the law, then um, we're rejoicing in vain. Mashiach himself tells us, yeah, I know that was awesome. I know you had a great revival. I know you had a great healing uh, conference. I know you had a great prophetic ministry conference. I know you were doing some awesome stuff, but I need to let you know that's not the reason to rejoice. Literally in last week's Torah portion, Parsha Beshalach, we, we read through the account of the splitting of the Sea of Reeds, commonly known as the Red Sea. And Hashem does not refer to himself ever as the God who split the sea. He refers to himself 
more times than like anything else, I am the God who delivered you from Egypt. Because what he wants us to focus on is the fact that our names are written in heaven, that our names are in the book of life. What's the book of life? The book of life is the Torah. And how do you get your name in the Torah? You become grafted in. And guess what? Everybody is grafted in already. It's just up to them to realize it because whether we like it or not, we were all taught the Torah before we were born. And furthermore, everyone is born with a Torah portion. And that Torah portion has amazing relevance to your life, to your mission, to your purpose for even existing. So it's really left up to you whether or not you want to embrace it. So when you really think about the implications of that, say la. Because that's kind of a big deal, as Ron Burgundy would say. So anyway, back to Romans chapter 3. We were on... uh, Verse eight. So let us do evil so that good may come. Okay, we went all the way tangent. Okay, back to the next phrase. Just as we are being slandered, and as some claim that we say, their condemnation is deserved. Okay, so let us do evil so that good may come, just as we're being slandered as some claim that we say. So in other words, there's Lashon Hurrah like crazy right now. Like this is absolutely outrageous. It's egregious, preposterous. Because the same thing that's happening about let us do evil so good may come. Let me as a liar bring glory to God because God's truth is going to show forth and be amazing. Well, guess what? Just as we're slandered and people are speaking Lashon Haram about us, they're placing themselves on the condemnation and the very opposite effect of their slander is actually taking place. Just like the very opposite effect of our evil so that God's good may come because you realize evil and good are opposites, right? So we do evil, we cause God's goodness to be made glorious. People who walk in truth and righteousness, they get slandered for it, actually cause the truth and the righteousness of God to be shown forth. Because the people who do the slandering, they're self-incriminating. Just like I covered in a parsha Beshalak about when the people complained about the manna, why is that a problem? Because they're self-incriminating themselves. Because the manna... It's not the manna's fault. It's actually the person's fault that the manna is bad because the manna tasting like whatever you want it to taste like and the manna being uh, bread directly from heaven, like heaven is going to make horrible food. I mean, can we just bring that up for a second? God is going to give you food that comes from heaven and yet it's going to be gross and crappy. Okay, if that's possible and it's not. Think about Mashiach when he comes from heaven. That means he could be blemished. That means he could be a sinner. And that means he should not be Mashiach because if we can have crappy manna, we can have a crappy deliverer. Because how are you going to say the bread is going to be horrible, but Messiah is going to be great? 
That's going to be like saying, well, the rock that gave us water was terrible, but the cloud of glory was amazing. It's just kind of like, okay, so now you're going to divide up God. Is that really what we're going to do? God, your arm sucks, but your foot, it's amazing. I mean, think about the implications of that. That's terrible. Anyway, verse nine, which is, I believe, where we might uh, end the podcast today. So, woo, we've gotten verse seven, verse eight and verse nine. All right. Okay, so verse nine says, what then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. I love it. Just because people who lie bring glory to God, people who slander, self-incriminate themselves, and people have a, yeah, I can be all in the grace of God, da 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 da, da. It's like, okay, and we're up here getting slandered, being slaughtered all the live long day, and, you know, supposedly missing out on a lot of stuff like pork and Saturdays and all this kind of stuff, because those are the kind of things that get thrown at Jewish people who've converted. It's like, oh, really? You're going to give up pork? Oh, you're going to give up Saturday? Oh, you're going to give up the tree holiday? Oh, you're going to give up the chocolate heart holiday? Oh, you're going to give up the, the demonic bunny holiday? I can't believe you would ever do something like that. Okay, so anyway, all of that, right? It says, are we better than they? No, not at all. I love that. I mean, talk about Jews and Gentiles you know, all on the same page. There is, as he's going to say right here, for we have already made the case that all, both Jewish and Greek people, which by the way, when you see that term and, you know, which is apart from the Jews, because you know, there's only two people in the world. There's those who are Jewish, i.e. in covenant with God, new creations, all that, and the people who are not. Okay, just like there's only a man and a woman. Okay, you're either one or one or the other. You're you're usually not both. I know that apparently there are cases where people are born with both parts and they're very androgynous. So there's there's something to that. But as far as the way everything is brought out, when Hashem made the first two humans, he said, here's a man and here's a woman. And I know that's even hard to really break down because Jewish literature says that when God created Adam brought us up from the dirt, which was actually mixed with water. So mud, clay, we were clay in the potter's hand. That's, that's Genesis chapter two. But anyway, he, we were brought forth man and female. It says, that's why he says made him male and female together. So Adam actually is man and woman as one, which is why Marriage is the thing to bring us back to being the Adam, being the one uh, united human that Hashem wanted us to be. So anyway, but all of that being said, <clears throat> the point is that there's Jews and non-Jewish people. And typically the way to say that would be, be Jews and the Greeks or Jews and the Romans. Like you're basically saying those who are in covenant and those who are not. So just want to throw that at us. So it says that we've already made the case that all both Jewish and Greek people are under sin. Verse 10. Oh, we're going to get verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous. No, not one. Verse 11. 
There is no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. All have turned aside. That's verse 12. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. Okay, so I'm going to end it right there because verse 13 is going to go into some other passages. But what we need to really understand is this right here is a shotgun blast of Tehillim, which are the Psalms. So we're going to break this down one by one. But the first thing I want to bring up is if you're reading the Orthodox Jewish Bible, verse nine says this. What then are we Yehudim better off? Not altogether, for we have now charged both Yehudim and non-Jews as all alike under hachet, under the sin, i.e. the power of the chet kadmon, the primordial sin. This is why... It's so important to understand when he says Jews and Gentiles being one in Messiah and this whole concept that we're to regard no one as male or female, Greek nor slave and all of that. Because why? We're all under one primordial sin. What sin is that? The one that causes all of us to die regardless of how righteous we are. And that is the sin of the serpent, the sin of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because of that, everybody needs Mashiach. It don't matter your background. It don't matter your bloodline because everybody's background and everybody's bloodline all goes back to that tree. And this is something that is not quite understood. And this is a huge stumbling block, probably like I don't even know. I was going to try to think of what this would be because, I mean, it's like a moat full of leviathans, but there's only one. So I don't really know how that works. But take a moat, put a bunch of leviathans in it, electric eels, uh, alligators, um, anacondas, and then follow that up with a shoreline full of scorpions and um, uh, vipers and um, more anacondas, just because, just throw that in there, and then put behind that lions, tigers, bears, oh my, uh, and then put behind that uh, barbed wires, um, thorn patches, uh, cactus, and an electric razor fence, and then um, people with bow and arrows, shotguns, machine guns, army tanks. And then behind that, put like this super high wall fortified to the heavens that um, oozes with the most venomous spiders you could ever have. So there's really not a reason to even touch it or climb it. And then behind that is the, the beautiful fruit in the city, the place that you're trying to reach which is this message of truth that is for all mankind. So you got all of these ridiculous amounts of obstacles that exist because of why? Because of the grace message. People think that the only way that they can have truth is to go to church and believe in Jesus. And the whole thing is missed like a very, very short person on a runway. 
as far as their head would be to the wheels of the airplane over their head taking off. It's missed by that much because why? Because everybody, regardless of their race, their religion, their culture, we all are going to die because of the sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because of the counsel of the serpent, because of what we did in the garden. That, my friends, is beyond anything that you can put a box around. And so people can't get to what is the cure for the chet chadmon. What is the cure for the, the, the primordial sin that affects all mankind? And that, my friends, is why the cross-reference here says, read chapter 7, 23 to 25. It says, but I see a different law in my body parts, my whole entire being, my whole makeup. There's a different law that is at work. And it battles against the law of my mind, bringing me into bondage under the law of sin, which is in my body parts. Measurable man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? What is the cure? For those of you who read ahead, stop it. Thanks be to God. It is through Mashiach Yeshua Adonainu our Lord, our Hashem. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the Torah of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin, of chet. I want you to think about this in relation to what Yeshua says. When it says, Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's from the writings of Yochanan. Because the only way all mankind have to get through is through the Torah. That's why the Torah is for all mankind. Conversion, all mankind. Jewishness, for all mankind. Everybody needs to enter into this way because it is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Even Jews who were born Jewish have to convert because the only way to be a Jew is to be born again. That's why the first Jew is a man and a woman who were born again. I, okay, I'm going to say it. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, get you some of that. Like, do you hear this right now? This is so far beyond like, oh, did you go to your temple today? Oh, did you worship the Lord today? Oh, did you pray to your gods today? Oh, did you, you know, even say a prayer of some sort? Did you meditate? Did you do some kind of pose or something? Like, it takes religious acts off the table. Like, on all sides, you have to come into the Torah. And the Torah is not just religion. It is not just, oh, I went to synagogue on Sabbath. Or, oh, I go to synagogue three times a day. I go to yeshiva once a week. It is way beyond that. Because really, when you add up all that time, how much time really is that? 
compared to the actual hours of your life, your, your waking and sleeping moments, how much time do you really spend in the synagogue? How much time do you really spend in yeshiva? I mean, think about it. So, yeah, those are a part of the whole entire picture and tapestry. But, I mean, you really got to think about what is the actual depth and the real point here. Why do you even do any of that? And what gives meaning and actuality and what validates all of that? Because you realize you could go to synagogue and you can go to yeshiva. You can learn all the Hebrew in the world. You can say all the brachas in the world. And you can do all the mikvot in the world and all that kind of stuff. And you can believe whatever you want to believe. But none of it's going to make a lick of difference if you're not a transformed person from the inside. If your heart's not for Hashem and his Torah, if you don't live for Hashem and his Torah, if you don't focus on it, if you don't really mean it, if it's just outward expressions and, you know, mindless rituals and things like that, it means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Whoa. Who? Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Because you realize those are acts of warfare. It's an act of warfare to walk out your faith. But it's absolutely nothing if you don't mean it. So anyway, I would hope that no one's wasting their time listening to podcasts or going to shul and celebrating the Shabbat and eating kosher if you really don't love God and if you really don't ask Hashem to make you new every moment of your life. If you don't have that weeping that we just read about that David talks about in Psalm 6 where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Like, if we don't follow that act of our hearts just being desperate for God, if we don't have fire of Hashem burning inside of us, we need to stop what we're doing, return to Yeshua and start from there and get some help and see as they can immediately and break your heart like the sapphire tablets and go through the death, burial and resurrection of Mashiach and like really walk this thing out. Like got a lot of work to do. So anyway, that's the first thing. All of us are under sin. Nobody's better than anybody. And we all have a lot that we need to do. Namely, coming to Mashiach. Okay, so one of the things in this verse as well is about there is no man so wholly righteous on earth. Okay, no one righteous at all. Verse 10, right? So that actually comes from Kohelet, which is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. So Shaul is mixing up Psalms. With Ecclesiastes, he quoted Isaiah just a little bit ago. This guy, I mean, what in the world? And it's funny because we're supposed to rightly divide up the word of God. And it's like, this is what it looks like. For those of you who have ever in your life read an actual page from from the actual book, like the actual volume of Talmud 
or an actual volume of Midrash Rabbah. I'm not talking digital copies because those can be, you know, you can do some things with those. And if you're looking at things online like that, Safari obviously is an exception to the rule because they do a pretty good job. So bless Hashem for Safari. But look at literal art scroll or Koran or uh, Stein Salts or something like that. Actual volume of work. And you'll see what rightly dividing the word of God looks like. They'll start with a commentary on a verse and they're like, you know what? We're going to talk about this verse by using a psalm and then we're going to use a parable. And then we're going to come back to a comment on the psalm that we were using before the parable to talk about the verse that we're going to comment on. And then we're going to take um, that verse and we're going to actually explain that verse by using this verse over here. And that's a very small example. This is why the Midrash Rabbah is so thick and it's so voluminous. What it's like 17 volumes or something like that, like to get the full set. And it's just kind of like, okay, you really want to see what rightly divided in the word of God looks like. And here we are just in a letter that Shaul wrote. He's turning his letter into a voluminous work patterned after the writings that he reads. One distinguished gentleman of our previous uh, history, anyway, of our synagogue congregation members, uh, no longer a part of our congregation. May Hashem bring him back because this kind of stuff was inside of him. He said this phrase. He says, in order to understand what Paul said, you have to understand what Paul read. I'm going to say that again. In order to understand what Paul said, you have to understand what Paul read. And I can I can tell you that 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 statement is so ill. That statement is so. Oh, that statement is so. Just I just want to throw everything in the room right now. I want to just throw all my furniture off the third floor. Just just because. And then I just want to run around screaming because you realize, I mean, that is just so deep, so rich. And I can tell you that as I've studied Jewish sources, Jewish literature, man, I'm telling you, Shaul was legit. He is totally a Jew. He is totally sourced out like you would not believe. Like, I never in my mind would have seen a passage of Ecclesiastes going next to a psalm. Like, who does that? So anyway, for those who think that Paul teaches to be lawless and be a Christian, you got another thing that you need to understand. But anyway, so this commentary, because, you know, if you study Jewish literature, there's so much clarity to things. Without this commentary, what really do you walk away with when you say there is no one righteous, not one? Oh, yeah. OK, great. We're all a bunch of sinners. Well, hallelujah. God's grace. All right. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's celebrate Xmas now. That's the kind of stuff that happens. And that's the stuff that's been happening for thousands of years. And it's time for it to stop. As we like to say in, in the Avengers. Shut it down. Anyway, 
Anybody else want to shut it down with me? I'm, I'm totally cool. I like flipping levers. Just power stuff down. Pull out, you know, circuit breakers and whatnot. This is a bunch of nonsense. And we need to be saying no to the nonsense. The word of God has so much clarity. And it's like, it, it it's mind boggling that there's not clarity to the word of God being preached on a daily and weekly basis. So anyway, and what I really want to say out of all of my bantering on this little tangent I'm going on is that you have to have what's called Jewish literature, AKA the oral Torah. If you don't have that, you're wasting your time reading the Bible. Quite frankly, you really are because you realize the fact that most people who read the Bible and don't study the Jewish literature in the oral Torah. That's why there are thousands upon thousands of denominations that are part of Protestant, Christian, Catholic, and whatever else you want to throw in there. Cause Chrislam is like a new thing and that's Christianity, uh, integrated with Islam. That's a thing that all comes because people take a hold of the Bible the written word of God, they don't study the law of Moses, first of all, and then like seriously study it. Like, what does this mean? What are the implications of this? Not, oh, well, this is something the Jews used to do. Those poor Jews who rejected the Yeshua, like all of that stuff. But this is why all of that exists, because no one has the oral Torah. Because you don't study Jewish literature, because you have no oral Torah, you are in a world, a whole heap of confusion. And it literally is confusion. People think that there's a third covenant for crying out loud. Like there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament, and then we need this other thing that's going to be like, this is the next wave of things. And a couple of years ago, there was rumors that they were trying to literally get a third testament installed in the Bible. So I'm like, obviously consider the source of all of that. Second of all, how old is the New Testament by now? Why is that not called Old Testament? Just just saying, if we really want to call stuff old. And side note, I thought Hashem's mercies were new every morning. So really to call the word of God old is, is a problem because you don't think God renews creation on a daily basis. You don't think the mercies of Hashem is new every morning. You don't think that there are new opportunities for you to grow in your faith and relationship with God. It's just like, yeah, that old word, God's just so worn out because you realize the word of God is God, right? So you're literally calling God old. You're like, how long has he been around? Oh my gosh. You know, anyway, you should probably get your some oral Torah. You should probably convert and like do like Jewish stuff and like, like mean it like with passion and, and like, you know, regenerated spirit and whatnot. Like you need all that. You need Holy Spirit. You need, you know, immerse in a mikvah. If you're not circumcised, get circumcised. If you can't, uh, for medical reasons, obviously that speaks to itself because that's in Jewish literature. Um, and if you've already been circumcised medically, but you haven't done it in a, I'm really circumcising myself for a shim, there's what's called Hatafat Dambrit. You can look that up, but it's basically drawing blood uh, from your male organ. 
And uh, so, yeah. So anyway, all of that to say, that's the kind of stuff that needs to happen so that the confusion and the nonsense can stop. Because I guarantee you uh, a critical mass of people doing that. We're going to be in the final redemption and death and sickness and all sorts of horribleness will be banished from the world and everybody's going to see God and it's going to be like awesome. So what are we waiting for? Is there anybody like listening? Is there anybody like responding? Is there anybody available to like take up that cause? I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just asking. I don't know. Anyway, so this this commentary from Kohelet, I'm going to read you the Ibn Latif with Rashi and Ya'avetz and Miklol Yofi and Rav Sadia Gaon. All of them are going to use their superhero powers combined as this information right here. That he does not need the guidance of wisdom. So when it says that there is no one righteous, none, not one, it's saying that he does not need the guidance of wisdom. Anybody ever feel like they don't need guidance of wisdom? Don't raise your hand. Don't respond to that. Okay, anyway, therefore, man is obliged to examine his deeds. The phrase is reminiscent of Shlomo's prayer at the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash, which is the Holy Temple, from 1 Malachim, 1 Kings, chapter 8, verse 46. Where it says, Ki ain Adam Asher Lo Yecheta. For there is no man who does not sin. Because you know why? Again, Chet Kadmon, the primordial sin, no matter if you live the most perfect, legit, sparkle, squeaky clean life, you ate from the tree, whether you like it or not, and you're going to die. So there's that. So that's why we can say, yeah, no one's without sin. Doesn't mean that you need to sin. We just talked about all that. I'm not going to go back on that tangent. Anyway, so the phrase Ba'aretz, which is on earth, is stressed because Arziyut, physicality of this earthly existence, draws man to sin. That's where our sin comes from. It comes from this physicality, this earthly existence that we have, the mundanity. And it goes on to say that he always does good and never sins. Therefore, the wise man should not be overconfident. Even Moshe sinned. Now, why we got to throw Moshe under the bus like that? I mean, the man gave his whole entire like, come on now. It's true, though. But we do we really have to bring that up? Yes, we have to bring that up, because in the light of the con context of, of this, of this, what we're talking about, uh, aren't people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm so righteous. I don't need guidance of wisdom. I don't need that law. I'm under grace. It's like, oh, so you're better than Moses. Are you? I mean, say la, just think about it for a moment. You should probably take a time out before you respond to that. Because if you say yes, then we know that you need medication and, and a lot of therapy. <clears throat> 
pretty sure you didn't walk up the mountain when God was speaking and the mountain was on fire and you went and got the Torah from heaven. You fought against angels. And when God said it's time for you to die, you fought against Satan, who was trying to come and take your soul. And Satan actually lost that battle. So Hashem had to come take his soul himself. Like, I'm sure you're not on that level. And again, if you think you are, you need medication. You need help. I mean, we all need help, but I mean, that's just a whole nother category. Last little comment here. It says, therefore, if a righteous man perishes, which is verse 15, his punishment is probably a retribution for some infraction he committed in this world because no man is so righteous on the earth that he never sinned. That's what Shaul is saying. He says, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. That's verse 11. And then I got my little notes here. Um, bu -bu 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 -bump. 13, telling 13, two through three. Nope, not that one. We got the Tehillim 510. For nothing upright is in their mouth. Inside them is ruin. Their throat is an open grave. Okay, so that's the, that's the part where uh, verse 13 is going to pick up. So let's see here. Where is all have turned aside? Together they have become worthless. All have turned aside. Find that real quick. I'll have turned aside. They have together become worthless. That is a Tehillim. Stand by. Yep, it is Tehillim 53.3. Let's go there. Tehillim 53.3, that is after Tehillim 1. Okay, 53.3. 53.3 in the place to be. Okay. Uh, it's actually verse 4, if you have your Tanakh. It says, but they all regress together. They have become corrupt. There is no one. There is none who does good, not even one. Okay, let's see what that comment says. It says, of all Titus's soldiers, none of them protest his actions. So it says the Talmud recommends that Taurus, Titus, by the way, is one of the Romans who destroyed the second temple. He was a part of that whole thing uh, going down. So the Talmud recommends that Torah students possess no more than a measure of of one sixty-fourth of pride, duly noted. <laughs> okay, so you're only allowed to have one sixty-fourth of pride. All right, it says which allows for just enough to garner respect. This healthy pride is likened to the bristles that crown an ear of grain. So to five a and the Rashi commentary there. This measure is alluded to in the present verse when the letters of the word regress, which is Summit Gimel, 
which is Sag, or Reverse, which, by the way, there's a divine name of Hashem that is 63. It's called Shem Sag. And so there's there's something there. But anyway, it says that when these letters are reversed, they become Ges, which is Arrogance. And it says, since arrogance is the hallmark of the wicked and the cause of their regression, guess equals 63, alluding to the measure of 163rd of pride. Such a measure exceeds the needed amount and renders one wicked. So if you approach 164th of pride and then decide to just go ahead and step over the line and hit 163rd, well, welcome to arrogance. Welcome to regression and corruption. Going on, it says, ultimately, our goal is to achieve absolute humility before God and the eradication from any sense of independence from him. Practically, however, this level of humility is inappropriate when we are yet spiritual novices. Practically, however, this level of humility is inappropriate. Why? Because if we want to achieve absolute humility before God and the eradication of any sense of independence from him, this level is inappropriate when we're spiritual novices. You're like, God, I'm so humble. I know I need you at every moment of my life. And so therefore, I don't want to be independent of you. It's like, well, welcome to inappropriateness. That is not how we do it. It says at first we're we are encouraged to develop an emotional appreciation of God, one that speaks to our egos and gratifies our emotional and spiritual desires. At this stage, it is better to take pleasure in godliness than from base materialism. The Talmud therefore advises us to retain some sense of self comparing it to the bristles that protect the wheat kernel. Didn't Mashiach say we need to have a moon as much as a mustard seed? Just a lot of vegetation talk. But anyway, without this self-oriented appreciation of godliness, we are susceptible to the calls of hedonism. As we progress spiritually, we should discover the beauty in a relationship with God that doesn't feed our ego a unity in which our sense of self is subsumed within him. That is from Rabbi Shamuel Lubavitch. And I love it because when you really think about it, when you and Hashem become one, you can't tell the difference between your desires and his desires because you keep reading the Torah portions and you're like, God loves the convert. Oh my gosh, I love the convert. God says, be holy as I'm holy. Man, I, I want to be holy like God is holy. Like his, his desires are your desires. His will is your will. That sense of unity is when your, your own being and your own existence is to do nothing but what Hashem's desires and pleasures are. And that is why we say that we should learn the Torah for the sake of he who commanded it or for its own sake, which is Li Shma. So all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. May we be subsumed into Hashem. 
Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Natabetokeinu. Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Amen.